Welcome to Shekinah International Podcast. Our ministry reflects the five-fold ministry model Apostle Paul mentions in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Our podcast features leaders from multiple churches who are passionate about equipping Christians just like you to walk in purity and power, fulfilling your God-given purpose. God wants to do great exploits through you, so enjoy today's podcast. Isn't going to measure up 
Amen? None of us are enough. So no matter how not enough we are, it's our not enoughness plus Jesus and we're in. Amen? It's our not enoughness plus the blood and the finished work. And he says, oh, this one's with me. Can anybody say amen to that? So the title he gave me was, that's right, I'm not enough, but I am is. I am is enough. Lord told us, I am that I am. You remember what the Pharisees said? Were you there with Abraham, our father Abraham? He says, oh, you damn man, don't foolish one too. You vipers, how dare you say you're the children of Abraham? Abraham believed. Come on, somebody. He said, I am that I am. When Moses stood outside in the desert after he acted in anger towards one of the taskmasters that was beating the children of Israel when they were bondage, and ran away and stood next to that burning bush. He's looking at the strange thing. And the Lord's telling him he's going to send him back, that he has his great deliverance assignment for him. And he's like, Lord, I can't talk. I did it, did it, did it, did it, did it, did it. Give me someone to talk for me. I don't did it, did it, did it, want, want to do this by myself. Right? Have you been there? Or we want, to, we want somebody else. Lord, send somebody else with me, please. Please don't make me die by myself. Please don't make me stand in this awkward, uncomfortable, nobody's going to believe me moment by myself. Amen? And come on, it's all right. Don't be ashamed. Amen. Anybody else been there? Right? That's why God gave you crazy wives. All right? We're willing. We're willing. The guys are willing. Yes. Yes. Amen. So is this idea, I was thinking, you know, about, okay, I'm not enough, the situation with my husband. I was thinking of my friend Hinato when I was talking to him about salvation and asking him if he wanted to come to church. He said, I'm not ready for that. I said, well, why not? Well, I don't have my life together. I said, oh, honey, that's the point. You don't come to Christ once you got all together. The whole point is you come to Christ so you can get it together because apart from him, we can do nothing, but with him, all things are possible. And the reality is we cannot change until we come to him and say, I'm a hot mess and I need you to fix me. Amen? Amen. It's okay. That I say all that to say this. It's okay to not be enough. Turn to your neighbor and say, you ain't enough. <laughs> you ain't enough. And it's okay. You say back to them, well, neither are you. But Jesus is. But Jesus is, amen? Jesus is more than enough. That's right. Okay. I looked up this definition. The telephobia. The fear of imperfection not being enough. And we've all done that, right? Especially as worship leaders. Ooh, it's creepy. It's creepy. We've all done it, right? You're up there and... You're wanting to hit the notes just right. You want to play a song just right. You want to paint a picture just right. You're at work and you're on your first date. You want to do your interview just right. And you're like, oh, da, 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 da. you want everybody around you to be all right, right? Okay, come on, let's keep it real. Yeah. Okay, we've all been there. With the person in front of you maybe isn't driving just right, and you're a little wanting to beat that horn. Tell them today, Junior Moses, can you help me out? You know what I'm saying, right? Deep down, the reality is this: we know. We're not good enough. We know our mess. We know how we think. We know where we fail. We understand our lives. And we are our own worst critics because we've been there for every mistake we ever made. 
every time we've ever fallen. We know what our sinful tendencies are. We know what our evil desires are. We understand our temptations in those moments where we really, 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 really missed it. And our missing it harms someone else really bad. The scripture tells us that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through who? Come on, church, you know this. Jesus Christ, that's right. So I'm like, all right, we're going to talk about the fact that we're not enough, I got you, but I am enough, tracking. Like, what's the main story? What's the scripture line you want me to look at? And he said, well, why don't you talk about Pharaoh and the ten plagues? I said, shut the front door. Are you serious? I'm thinking, that doesn't make much sense. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, Father God, you're going to have to help me put this together because I am not tracking with you. And he's like, that's the point of us talking prior to you going out there, darling. So I'm like, it just wasn't resonating, I'll be honest with you. So I prayed Wednesday, I prayed Thursday, I prayed Friday, I prayed Saturday, and then I texted Kim, I'm like, hey, Kim, uh, what did God give you and Jim? Because I'm wondering if maybe you're supposed to do the message, because he doesn't give me anything. All I know is I'm supposed to talk about prayer in the templates, but it is not coming together. So I go to bed late last night. He'd given me kind of an outline, a little bit of an outline, a skeleton, but I just wasn't quite there this morning at all. Passover 2020 is this Wednesday, April 8th at sundown until April 16th sundown. We talked about this last week for those of you that attend Shekinah International. The Seder is celebrated on that day, the evenings both of the 8th and of the 9th. That's the Passover meal that you're probably familiar with and have heard about. Jesus' Last Supper, some of you may not know this, was celebrated at Passover. You can find that reference in Luke 22, 7 through 38. That supper he had, he said, Go and find a place for us to eat the Passover in Luke 22, 7-38. I want you to say this with me. Jesus was the ultimate Passover lamb. We're going to talk about some things today that are going to bring us back into the Old Testament, but I need you to remember this. Jesus was the ultimate Passover lamb. He gave his life so that the whosoevers can tell you, you're saying, I'm a whosoever. Say, so you're, you're a whosoever. So whosoever would believe, it's that simple, shall be saved, forgiven, healed, redeemed. Just like, I don't know why I heard Pastor Jim just now, that's odd, okay? Just like Jim said a couple minutes ago, okay? I don't know if you have a true gift of a shepherd. But a pastor has a tendency to really care for people, want to make sure everyone's comfortable and safe and taken care of and looked after every pastor. So I'm just going to release that to you and you can pray about that, brother. Um, so whosoever would be healed, forgiven, saved, reconciled to God. That's our job. Reconcilement to God. And I want you to keep that in mind as we go forward as we talk today because it's going to be very important for the context of the message. We're going to talk about some hard things but we need to keep this in mind, okay? Yeah, that's the best picture I can find of Pharaoh. You like that one? Look at his eyes, he look angry. <laughs> he looks all upset, he's got his pomp and circumstance on him, his fancy little, you know, beautiful crown there, showing who he was. Calm down, ladies. You know, the, the saying, this, I wear my regality on the outside, I wear my influence. Don't you know who I am? He walked into a room and people feared, right? 
And we do that, we do that sometimes. We wear our titles, right? We wear our work outfit. We wear our, the way we worship, maybe, sometimes, right? It said in Exodus 1.8, in the Amplified Version, Now a new king arose over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. Come on, do you remember why they were in Egypt, right? Jealousy between brothers. Joseph was given a dream. He was young and immature, didn't have enough sense to keep his mouth shut. Shared with his brothers. He said, this is my dream. Y'all are going to bow down and worship me one day. He was real naive. <laughs> right? And it's like, my dead body. They tore him up, took his coat that he wore, that coat of many colors. He was very gifted. It was a different kind of gift. They took his coat, took it back to the dad, said, well, dad, the mom's got him, put him in the pit, and sold him, really sold him into slavery. The one brother went back and sold him into slavery rather than just leave him there to die, right? Started. They went to Egypt because of jealousy between the brothers. Now, God worked this out for good because it ended up being provision for the entire family. And Joseph's dream that God had given him did come to pass if it was true. He ended up rising to power, being a man of great influence after, actually, this is interesting, 10 tests he had to pass. And I'm just going to make this parallel. There were 10 plagues, and Joseph had to pass 10 tests to provide provision. It's a book I don't have time to preach on today, but there's a parallel here, so just keep that in mind, too. So it started with jealousy, and the Israelites ended up there in Egypt so that during a time of great famine, so that they could be divided for. And I, I thought about this, and I prayed about this. I wondered, did they stay too long? Did the Lord at some point tell them to leave, but they were too comfortable? Did the Lord at some time point tell them it's time to go back? But they were like, yeah, we're good. Look, man, this is the good life. The Pharaoh loves us. We got all these cattle. We got our own homes. We're here in Goshen. We are well revered. Joseph's the man. We got a man in charge. You know? We got a Christian in the presidential seat. I'm just saying. You tracking with me? I like this life. It feels right. This is how it's supposed to be. Lord, surely you don't want us to move. That crossed my mind today. There's no biblical backing for that, but the thought crossed my mind. You need to know there were ten plagues. Nine times Moses prayed and God relented and Pharaoh still hardened his heart. Nine times. In the tenth time, he actually tried to warn him again. We're going to get into these details. He tried to warn him again, and Pharaoh yelled at him and told him to get out of the storm room. In the end, Pharaoh did let them go, but only to harm his heart again and try to kill them at the Red Sea. So he finally, when he does obey, he finally obeys, but then he's so angry at everything that he lost. Instead of taking personal responsibility, he blames the slaves, and then in a hot rage, chases them out into the desert to pursue them and destroy them. Because he so idolized what he had that he lost. He finally did surrender. But he only did it as he died. Kim shared something with me today. She said, I'm struggling a little bit with anger. I'm like angry. I said, I get it, honey. I get it. We're going to talk about that a little bit here. Um, I don't want to get ahead of myself. The first plague, let's talk about these plagues, okay? 
little picture there. In Exodus 7.14, we come into the story, it tells us there arose a king that knew not Joseph, and then it, in 7.14 it talks about this pharaoh, this new pharaoh, and the, the status of his heart, and it says this, and it's in 7.14, so if you have your word, you go ahead and open it up and you can follow along. The Plague of Blood is the title. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. That's interesting because up to this point, God had not said here in the scriptures, other than the one request, he had sent Moses to send to tell Pharaoh to let him go. He made the one request, but I'm wondering, when I read that this morning, I thought, how many times God will always tell you something before he sends a prophet to you to tell you to do it. How many times had God already spoken to Pharaoh? How many times had God given him dreams? Had God whispered in his ear? Had God laid it upon his heart? Had he been standing over Egypt and looking at the abuse of the slaves and what the building of their kingdom was doing to them and he ignored the promptings. He ignored the conviction in his heart. He brushed it aside so much so that the Lord had to send Moses in the era. They go before his throne and they make the request and look, here's my staff it turns into a snake, they pick it back up, the magicians fake it and do the same thing so the Pharaoh blows them off. And I read this verse and I thought the Lord says to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. And then as I was worshiping today, worship was so good today, the Lord was reminding me that Moses is actually going for a stepbrother here. Moses was living with this Pharaoh. This was family to him. Remember, he was raised in the house, learned how to speak, was taught by them, lived there. He was close to this individual, someone he loved very much probably quite fond of him. And any of you ever find out late in life that your stepbrothers or stepsisters are adopted or anything like that, it's a really awkward conversation to have. Because you're thinking, yeah, we're all tight, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, 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 this is my part, my role, my portion. Okay, I didn't know that, I'm good with that. You know, it takes a minute to kind of, you know, any of you ever had said me a joke about it? You know, my daughter's not right, she teases Jane all the time. Right? Okay. And do you remember the thoughts that went through your head? Like, geez, am I really home? Right? There's something about being in a family and the learning later that you're a doctor, that you're a stepchild, and what it does to you. It kind of shakes your foundation a little bit. And Moses learned eventually that he was indeed adopted. He was saved. All the babies were being thrown into the Nile. Picture of modern day abortion. The Pharaoh at that time, his Pharaoh's father, was afraid that the Christians were going to rise up, all oh, the Jews, okay, same picture as our nation, the Christians here, that the Jewish people would rise up and that they would take over, that they would rule, that they would become too many, is what the scripture says. So he said, throw every baby, little boy, into the Nile. They were eaten by whatever, alligators or whatever, drowned. And Moses' mom had so much faith, she put it in a basket floated him down the river. And the king's daughter, the Pharaoh's daughter, found him. 
took him in. And God is so good, so gracious, in such dark times that even during that time, God had a purpose for Moses. Moses' mom believed in her heart of hearts that, number one, she could escape the destiny of darkness that was trying to be thrust upon her and her family. And number two, not only did she believe that he was able to escape it, and he did, when she put him in the river and the baby was brought in the home and called to be raised as a royal son, that woman, the mother, got hired to nurse him. Come on, somebody. Sometimes you're in a situation where it looks like the enemy's throwing your dream down the river to be devoured by alligators, but if you will stand up in faith, not only will God deliver your child, but he will make sure you get hired and get paid to take care of it. That's the God we serve. That is the God we serve. That's how we got there. So he comes back in, and he's been raised in this royal home, taught by an Israeli Jewish mother who he was. This is your identity, son of God. These are your people. Here are the songs. Here's our culture. This is who God created you to be. You are called to be separated and set apart. You're a chosen one, as my friend Kami likes to say. You're a chosen one. She's wearing it, but she's wearing it today. Jesus loves you, but I'm his chosen one. Amen. You, you, sitting in these chairs tonight, you are a chosen one. And you are called and you are set apart and you are chosen for such a time as this to change the world. You are called to do great exploits in his name. So this is Moses' brother or stepbrother. And he has to go before him. And God is telling Moses, this person that he loves, this person he was raised with, this person he probably wrestled with and laughed with and joked with and teased with and went to school with, rode chariots around and aggravated people with. You know how it is? Your brother, man. Your sister. That's my girl. That's my ride or die. This one, the Lord says, his heart is unyielding. If you ever had somebody close to you, somebody you really care about, it's like, man, Jesus, I wish they would just get it. And sometimes the more you love them, the more it irritates you, right? Because you know that they've been taught the same thing you've been taught. You rolled together. You've talked about this before, but they just aren't there. And you're like, Daddy, what is going on? One plus one still equals two, and I know that they know you. Where are they at? What is happening? And the spirit of anger, the spirit of frustration, the spirit of rage tries to rise up in you. And it's almost like the enemy tempts us and sends that spirit of anger from the pit of hell to try and get us to force someone to get what it is God wants to encounter them and, and, and woo them with. We cannot force people to love. We cannot force people to change. We can give them a beautiful, compelling invitation to come. We can be an example of glory and grace in their presence and hope that the sweet fragrance of life woos them back to the way of holiness, but we cannot force them. Can anybody say amen? Amen. So he's standing there, and the Lord tells Moses to tell him, to let the people go again. 
He says, see to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews. In other words, listen, I'm separating myself from you now. My God, my people's God, my Father, he sent me to say to you, he sent me. In other words, I love you, but I got to say what I got to say. And you might not like it, but if I don't say it, I'm in trouble too. And I ain't going down with you for that. Come on. To let my people go. So that they may worship me in the desert. But until now, you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this, you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die, and the rivers will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. Mm-hmm. We don't like it. Remember when you were little and your brothers and sisters would get licking? And you're like, oh, Lord, don't whoop them. No, no. Hey, please, it's okay, it's okay. He really didn't do it. I was listening to Jackie the other day. She was talking about how she used to come for her brother all the time. And she said, I don't think it helped. I think it actually made it worse. I was like, you think? Right? Discipline your child, right? Raise your child the way they should go. When they're old, they won't turn away from them. Spoil, spare the rod, what? Spoil the child. We used to joke, my husband used to joke, we said, whoop them when they're young. Yeah. Whoop them when they're young. Because if you wait until they get older, it isn't going to work and they're going to be whooping you. Mm-hmm. Amen? Mm-hmm. And it's hard sometimes for us as siblings to see other siblings be disciplined by the Lord, but it's so important. Mm-hmm. Pharaoh said after that he was going to let them go, and then the magicians come up and they do the same trick as Moses. Moses turns the water into blood, right? They play their little witchcraft magic and they're able to do the same thing. So the Pharaoh blows it off. I was like, that's interesting, Lord. Why did, why did you allow that? Same thing with the frogs. You go and look at the frogs, okay? Verse 7. The magicians mimic this too in chapter 8. Exodus chapter 8, same thing. He says, I'll call the frogs to come up. Moses goes, he tells them, you know, the Lord said, let my people go so they can worship me in the desert, right? Moses does what God tells him to do, and the, the magicians come right alongside him, and they mimic the exact same thing, which is kind of funny to me that they're mimicking the plague on their own people. I got two things out of that. Number one, magic always comes with a price. Okay? People to be messing around with that voodoo and that witchcraft and that junk that's going on, the Harry Potter and all that nonsense, magic comes with a price. You're messing around with magic. And I know this is common right now. I've been talking to girls, a couple girls that I've been mentoring and coaching the last 10 years. They're telling me how these girls are walking up behind them in school and cutting pieces of hair off and doing these little curses, thinking it's funny and stuff. Magic always comes with a price. You participate in that stuff, it is witchcraft. It is idolatry to open the door for the devil to come in and have his way. You better repent. It's not something to toy around with. I can remember when I was a young girl and I was joking around with a neighbor kid playing with a Ouija board, okay? I kid you not, that's not a joke, that's not a toy. It's not a game, it's demonic. And I had to actually go through some deliverance after I got out of it. Same with the magic eight ball, that's not a toy. Those are demonic tools that the enemy uses to get in and uses as a gateway into young people's lives to try to turn them, to give them false prophetic visions, false dreams, false feelings, false confirmations. So then it goes on with the frogs, okay? So the magicians do this too. I was like, Lord, why? So magic magic comes with the price. He said that. And number two, it's a time of separation. 
Okay? It helps to purify our hearts. Sometimes you'll get a true prophet with a true word that you don't want to hear, and God wants to know where you're going to obey. And then you'll get a false witchcraft prophet who's flattering you all day long. Flappity, flap, 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 flap. And daddy's waiting to see who you're going to listen to. Him or me. And I'll tell you what, in the church, we got some flappity, flap, flapping prophets that need to stop. But God has allowed them in our midst. The weeds and the tares must grow up together. Because he wants to see, can my people be corrupted by flattery? I tell you what, I'm not doing it. You hear somebody tickling your ears, saying the things that's making your flesh feel good, you better shut it down and say, Daddy, I know I'm not that good. It feels a lot like this individual is worshiping me and not worshiping you. Right? And then you love them, you pray for them, you come alongside them, but you don't tolerate it. So the magicians mimicked, but it came with a price. They had the plague. They were just adding to the frogs. The magicians mimicking also gave Pharaoh an opportunity to choose. Would he choose flattery and I am right and continue to be headstrong, or would he submit to the Lord and do what he knew in his heart he needed to do? It goes on in chapter 8 and verse 10, and it said, Pharaoh said he was going to let the people go, but he's going to do it tomorrow. And as soon as I read that, I thought immediately, man, there are some things that some of us have been putting off till, till tomorrow, and Daddy's saying, you better get it to done today while the coals are hot. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll repent tomorrow. I'll call that person and tell them how sorry I am tomorrow. I'll make it right tomorrow. I'll go back there where I'm supposed to be tomorrow. I'll repent tomorrow. I'll pay my tithe tomorrow. I'll stop looking at porn tomorrow. I'll stop beating my wife tomorrow. I'll stop being bitter at this person tomorrow. I'll stop blaming other people and gossiping about them tomorrow. No, no, no. You want you to start today. Okay? Listen, I'm as bad as the next person. I'm just saying. If the conviction comes, you've got to strike while the iron's hot because the grace is on the conviction to do it. Amen? Just strike while it's hot. If he's saying it, the grace is in that moment to do it. Don't put it off to tomorrow. Do it today. Because there's a power that comes with conviction that when it wanes, it makes it a lot harder to move forward. Amen? Can anybody say amen? Have you been there? Move while it's hot. Strike while the iron is hot. Amen? So we move on to the next plague. The NIV version says gnats. When you look up the original language, uh, it's kinim, okay, in the Hebrew. And it's probably more likely that they were what they call sand fleas. Very tiny fleas that are very hard to see and very irritating. So they're small like a gnat, but it's very likely they were biting sand fleas, okay, or what they would call lice over in the Middle East, okay? So verse 18, and I love this, the Lord will allow a false prophet in the house for so long. And he'll let them flappity flap flap, and he'll let them talk, and he'll let them do their magic tricks, and then there comes a day of separation and distinction. There comes a time when he says, not today, darling. I'm going to show my own glory. And I'm going to set a distinction between the true prophets and the false prophets. The people that are carrying my voice and carrying my word, and the ones that are talking just to hear themselves talk. Amen? 
And that's an encouragement to you, Laura. You have persevered well, daughter of God. You've taken a lot of hits, and I want to say you've persevered well. And you know you're a true prophet. I never met anybody in my life that dreams like you dream, hears like you hear, it's as funny as you are. <laughs> I love you. I want to honor you today. So there came, in, in verse 18, it says, the musicians tried to do this. He went out and he struck the sand with the staff, and here come the, the sand fleas, right? They just fly about. They're everywhere. These people get bit. Now, you know, anybody like mosquitoes? I do not like mosquitoes. I try the spray. I try the fans. I try the candles. I try to rub it on. I try to make it home. Nobody likes getting bit by little animals, okay? Little insects. So the musicians tried this and they couldn't do it. And they came back to Pharaoh and they told him, this, this is the finger of God. God is moving. God is doing this. We cannot repeat it. We cannot manufacture it. We can't do what he's doing. And they're like, hands up. And then after hearing that, Pharaoh's heart was still hard. He didn't listen. What's going on, right? What's going on there? Like, I can imagine the frustration that Moses felt like, oh, brother, I love you. Please, I'm begging you. Now you know this is the hand of God. Please. Please repent. Please let my people go. I don't want to keep coming back to you and saying this stuff. I don't want to keep coming back to you and warning you. Just do what Daddy said to do. Please. Because this isn't pretty. And, and the fleas, you know, I know they're really annoying, but this is going to get worse. Because we are going. God is going to do what he's going to do. God is going to have his way. You are going to let his people go. But what is it going to take? At what price? What price are you willing to pay? And I can imagine that Moses probably did struggle with anger. Like wanting to shake his brother. Stop it. Stop it, right? And sometimes we say about this earlier. You are jealous for me. Jealousy is strong as death, says the scripture. Jealousy is strong as death. And there's that true, perfect love that sometimes brings up what we call righteous indignation. I am angry because you are resisting the very thing that is good for you. I am angry because your sin is hurting everyone around you. I am angry. Now, we don't let the sun go down on that anger. We've got to take care of business. Come on, somebody. But there is such a thing as righteous indignation. And it does not mean the individual doesn't love you. Sometimes it means they love you more than you love yourself. So it goes on to the play with the flies. Exodus 8.22. But on that day, this is the distinction. I will deal differently with the land of Goshen. So now at first he made a distinction between the prophets, the, the platformers, okay? I'm going to make a distinction between my true voice and, my, and the false voice. The true prophetic and the false prophetic. The true preachers and the false preachers, right? We're seeing that happen in the church corporately. Things are being shaken. And it's becoming real obvious. The ones that have a heart after God and really want his glory and those that want fame, fortune, power, and Whatever else. I don't know. I can't relate to that mentality. There is a shaking that's happening in the church. This COVID-19 isn't just about 
our nation and the people in our nation. It's about the church. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, then will I hear from heaven and I will come. I will hear their prayers and I will heal their land. We prayed that earlier this month when this first all came out, February, I think it was, just repented on behalf of the church for the nonsense, for the political spirit, for the participation in it, political spirit, and that religious spirit, and the gains, in the drama, and making it about this performance instead of about making disciples who are capable of making disciples and sending them out in power to go and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you have confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, guess what? You can baptize somebody else. If you have believed on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you've been studying this word, you can teach somebody else. I don't care if you've been studying for five minutes. Go tell somebody what you know. You have something to give. Give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Shall men get into your bosom. Once you've got it, you've got something to give. Go. You don't need permission. Go. I don't know who that was for. That was for somebody. So he made a distinction between the voices, between the prophets, between the leaders, the platformers, if you will. And in this next play with the flies, he begins to make a distinction between the people. So these first three plays, the river, the frogs, and the gnats, affected everybody. It says with the river that they had to dig alongside the river and let the sand filter the blood out so they could drink clean water. Now he said Israelites had to deal with the frogs. It says there were piles. They piled them outside the doors. The whole land stank. It said it reeked in the NIV. Reeked of dead frogs when the plague stopped. Every time after each one of these, the Pharaoh would talk to Moses and, and tell him, come and pray for me, come pray for me, come pray for me. So he knew that prayers worked. This is what baffles me. He knew that prayers worked. He knew that God was real. He knew that when Moses prayed, the plague stopped. So at some point, one plus one still equals two. You would think that just sheer logic of the plague stopping would be enough to make someone think, hmm, I might want to shift. This is not working out well for me and my people. The pride, that pride. Mm -mm -mm. That pride can eat you up if we're not careful. 822, it says, I will deal on this day, but on that day, okay, this is regarding the flies, the houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies and even the ground where they are. But on that day, the Lord says, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there. So you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This miraculous sign will occur tomorrow. This is another interesting point. Every time Moses went back and told Pharaoh something was looming, something was coming, this is what was going to happen. God always said, this miraculous sign will happen Tomorrow, he had a whole rest of the day to repent. To think about it. Boy, do I really want to go through this? Is this really where I want to land? Do I really want to? Or, you know, God gave him all night, all night to struggle and wrestle with this in himself. And he had an opportunity 
to ask for forgiveness, to say, no, go, it's time, y'all can go, it's all right. And I got this tender picture of the Lord in my heart. He just gave him, not only did he give him chance after chance after chance, so he would tell him what the play's going to be, then the guy would call Moses back in in an unkind way and demand that he pray for him. And this is his brother, who he loves, who Moses is frustrated with, who wants him to stop because it's only hurting him. In the first three plagues, it's hurting everybody. I'm assuming for Moses it got a little easier when the plague stopped affecting his life. And there's some trials we go through where in the beginning of the trial, the person's sin really affects our life bad. And then we start to put up boundaries. Like, okay, I'm going to pray for you. I love you. I'm going to pray for you. I love you. There's grace. I'm going to pray for you. I love you. But behavior doesn't change. So you got to put up different boundaries. And eventually, you're in Goshen land. And the Lord's about to make a distinction. And boundaries aren't bad. That's actually love. It says to the Egyptians, I will no longer judge my people for your sin. I will not require them to remain under the pain of your sinfulness because you will not repent or shift or obey me. So there's a season in these first three plagues where the Lord calls Moses, walk in magnanimous love, walk in magnanimous love, walk in forgiveness, walk in grace, walk in magnanimous love. And then he himself, on by plague four, makes a distinction. He says, no more. You don't have to suffer this no more. Put the ball up. I'm not going to make the people endure. And I just thought, oh, Jesus, thank you, Lord. Second Peter 3.9, I love this verse. I'm just going to turn it over real quick, but I want to put this here because I don't want to lose my place. Sometimes I think, I don't know about you all, but I might not be as holy as you are. When I'm in the middle of a trial, I'm like, Lord Jesus, when, God, when, yesterday, please, when is this going to stop? And I, he always... We have a running joke about buying me to the altar unless I kick against you because I will kick. I'm Irish. <laughs> okay. I'm going down. I'm going down. Kick it. Okay? We're fighters. That's what we do. We all have that instinct, that fight or flight thing in us that says, no, this hurts. This can't be right. But sometimes the hurt is good because it's pressing out of us the impurities, the things that cause us not to look like our king. Amen? Yeah. And I love this verse. It's so beautiful. It has helped me so many times. But do not forget this one thing in, in 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. So six months is like a sneeze. A couple seconds in his presence. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness from an earthly perspective, right? That's my addition there. He's patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but wanting everyone to come to repentance. So sometimes when we're in an extended trial, it seems like it's taking forever. Six months, a year, two years, three years, seven years, eight years. God is not being slow. He's giving us an opportunity to walk in a higher level of love with the individuals around us or the circumstances or situations. He's purifying our hearts. Not only is he doing that, 
But whoever is on the other end, the pharaohs in our lives, the Egyptians in our lives, he's giving them an opportunity to humble themselves, to turn from their wicked ways, to come up higher, to repent, to press into more of him. It's his grace. In uh, going back over to our story, verse 8, chapter 8, verse 25, it says, Pharaoh tried at this point, at least, okay, with the flies. He said, okay, 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 okay. I'm going to change something. I'm just not quite ready to change everything, so let's see if we can wheel a deal here. He comes back to Moses, and he basically tries to have them sacrifice their God here in Egypt. I know God told you to go to the desert and do it, but... Why don't you just sacrifice here, okay? I give, I give, I give. You could do it here. And Moses is like, that's not right. That's not what God asked for. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to compromise what God told me to do to make you comfortable. Not going to do it. There's no agreement here. That would be a defilement, he says, to your people. It would be wretched in the sight of your people. They don't agree with this. I'm not going to go into a camp of Satanists and you know, worship Jesus with them all around me. It's rude, number one. Okay? It's just rude. It's their stomping ground. They operate the way they want to operate. I'm not going to go into their land and do that unless I get a direct word from the Lord. If the Lord told me to have worship here at church today, I'm going to do it even if I go to jail. And then I'll worship him there. But Unless two walk in agreement, we have to walk. Two, two cannot walk together unless they walk in agreement, right? There has to be agreement. So he, this Pharaoh, his brother's like, do, 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 do. It's all good. We're brothers. Stay here and do it, right? Have you ever had somebody invite you into a ministry opportunity or some kind of work partnership where you knew that you knew that you knew there was not agreement and they wanted you to stay and be completely yoked in line with them and you're like, Nah, I'm good. Peace. Right? Like you knew that you knew that you knew that God didn't want you to do it, but they're begging and begging and begging, and you love that person, right? But you're like, I can't do this. There's part of my flesh that wants to say yes, but I know God is saying no. And if I don't obey and I don't go, I'm in trouble. Amen? Yeah, come on, Daddy. It was kind of funny in this one, too, because under the flies, Moses. The Pharaoh is like, pray for me. Like, wait, pray for me now. Moses got smart and he said, no, I'll pray for you when I leave. I'm not stupid. I'm going to go take that little bit. You gave me permission to go a little bit ways out in the desert and do the sacrifice for me to do. I'm going to do that. Don't go far, Pharaoh says. How far are you going to go? He says, no, I'll pray for you when I leave. It's a boundary. I'll pray for you when I go. But I gotta put up this boundary right now. Because you've proven to me the last three times you can't handle me not having this boundary. And that's love. He obeys the Lord, he goes and does what he has to do, comes back, and it says, The plague stopped when Moses prayed, but Pharaoh's heart was hard again. And I just thought, Lord Jesus, shanda da 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 da. Okay, that's how I talked about some joke. Right? I'm like, Lord Jesus, when I don't hear something nice say, I start praying in tongues because my flesh wants to talk and I need it to be quiet. Does anybody else have that? Amen. Amen. I was like, Lord, no, God help me. God help me. God help me. Help me be quiet. Right? 
So then you've got the livestock again. The Lord mentions distinction there. Okay, the livestock of the Israelites does not suffer like the livestock of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Okay, we're not going to go into tunnels. And then it's the boils. Can you even imagine? Can you even imagine? It says, when it got to the boils, it got to the sixth place that the magicians, and I'm just going to say in our nation, this is a word, I believe, for the witches and the warlocks that are coming against our president, our Christian president, and his cabinet. When we got to the sixth place, it says the magicians could not even stand. And I just want to say the Lord broke it down. There comes a point when the, the rebellion gets so bad and the resistance gets so bad and the hardness of heart gets so bad and the witchcraft won't stop and the warlocks just keep going after it, going after it. Daddy takes his stand and he says, you will bow your knee before me. They couldn't even get up. And this is the best part. That's not pride on God's part. That's love. Out of my love. Out of my mercy for you, I'm breaking you down because you are headed down a path of destruction. And you're hurting everyone around you and you're hurting yourself. And I love you enough to break your knees and make you bow and be still until you hear what I'm saying to you. Come on. And it goes on after the boils, even then. It says, but the Lord, this is the first time it says this. This is the Every other time it says, Pharaoh was unyielding, Pharaoh hardened his heart. There comes a point when you say, No, God, no, God, no, God, no, God, no, God. And you say, No, God, so many times the Lord finally says this. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said to Moses. Where Daddy says, You don't cross my line. This was my line right here, and it was not imaginary, and you crossed it. And now I'm going to harden your heart so I can teach you a lesson. This, this is a revelation from you guys. This blew my mind when he put this all together this morning. There comes a point where the Lord says, I will harden your heart. You harden it, you harden it, you harden it, you harden it, and five times, okay? Sixth time, boom. I'm going to buy it hard. Now it's hard for real. I'm going to show you who I am. Then comes the plague of hell. Chapter 9, verse 13, he said, I could have sent a plague that wiped you and your entire people off the earth, but I raised you up for this purpose. God tells us why. I used to think, why would God harden someone's heart? That sounds so cruel. It sounds so unloving. I didn't understand his mercy. I didn't understand that his judgment is his mercy because he has created heaven and created us to be with him for an eternity. And yet people will still choose to be separated from God eternally in a place that will be devoid of all things God. It will be devoid of love, kindness, goodness, health, nature, beauty, creativity. And he understands that that eternal destiny is way worse than any pain he might inflict now that could possibly get them to bend. It's like a good mama when she gives you, I'm going to whoop you for real, boy. You cross the line, and we're going. We're going to have this conversation, and it's not going to be pretty, and I don't care who's watching, I don't care if we're in the middle of the store. Get out the chair. 
whack, 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 and you thought it was done, but it ain't done yet. Whackity, whack, 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 boy, what did I say? Anybody been there? But mama loses it, okay? You run, you run! No means no, right? And it's like, you know, you done cross that line once, ooh, I think I'm cute, I'm gonna do this again. Hey, 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 mama's so funny. She's just playing with me, she isn't for real, right? Cross that line again, cross that line again. You really don't wanna do this, okay? You really, I told someone that recently, you, you really don't wanna do this, please stop. Because when I snap, we're gonna snap. And it's, it's not going to be pretty. And there's going to be some for real boundaries put up. And you're going to be going, whoa, who is this woman? Where did she come from? Come on. There's a time in our lives where God, like a good mother, plays whack-a-mole on your backside. And takes care of business. Not because he doesn't love you, but because he does. And for those of us that ain't got much padding back there, it's painful. We're a little quicker to repent. But those of us that have been feeding our flesh and feeding our flesh and feeding our flesh, Sometimes we can take a couple more beans. I'm just saying. Use your imagination, amen? So the Lord, this, this hail comes, right? Chapter 9, 13. And not only does the Lord break the magicians down and tell them they're going to stay down, then he makes a distinction between the people of God and the people of the world. He has Moses go back and he tells them, I could have sent a plague to wake you and your entire people off this earth. Boy, let me tell you what I could have done. You think this is bad? This is nothing. He said, but I raised you up for a purpose. Let me tell you why I hardened your heart. I raised you up for this purpose, that I might show you my power. And that my name might be proclaimed in the earth. And I put in parentheses, yet. You still set yourself up against my people and will not let them go. Come on. I really believe parenthood is part of our proving process. God is the perfect parent. In this particular chapter with the hail, Moses, excuse me, Pharaoh's heart shifts a little bit more and he says, I have sinned. Okay, so there's an admission. I've sinned. I know what I did was wrong. He goes on to say, the Lord is right and I and my people are wrong. So he even admits that he has sinned and that he is wrong. Some of y'all know that that's a miracle. Okay? Strong, powerful, influential individual admitting they're wrong, admitting their people are wrong, but he still did not repent. To repent means to turn around and go the other way. To come back up to the high place. You have to shift your behavior. That's what repentance is. Moses said to him because he knew his brother well. Right? You ever been... When your kids, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, my mom, my mom, my mom, I'm really sorry, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to punch my sister. And you, mama knows, daddy knows. I hear your lips, and I see your lips flapping, but I do not hear sincere repentance out of your heart. I see them lips moving, but I see this. What you're really saying to me is you're sorry you got caught. Amen? You been there, mom and dad? Okay? You're not actually sorry you did it. You're sorry you got caught. Mm -hmm. And you know that you're wrong. And you're scared about what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying. But we've all been there. We tremble. I'm lining us all up, right? And sometimes my brother and my sister wouldn't tell who did it. So we all found out what. And that would be in my bathroom. So we found out who it was. Because we're like, what the heck? Traitors, man. 
Yeah, they called us the Irish Mafia. It was fun. Good times, good times. Great learning experiences. So he said, I have sinned. The Lord is right. I and my people are wrong. But he's still in repent. He still didn't change his behavior. And I can just hear Moses' heart completely grieved. He loves his brother. I really believe he loves his brother. But like we were talking about earlier, I think that anger, Moses really struggled with anger. We know he did because that's why he never got into the promised land. He says, but I know. Right? There's nothing more irritating than somebody saying something and you know they're lying and they're not admitting that they're lying to you. They're playing the game. And Moses said to him, I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord. And I just want to say, without obedience, there is no fear of the Lord. Talk, 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 talk. You can talk all day long. Let me see your actions. Let God see your actions. Who cares what man says? Let God see your actions. Talk means nothing. Obey. Put your flesh down and do what God told you to do. Cry out to him and ask him to grant you a spirit of the fear of the Lord. This is the truth of the matter. We can't do it. Apart from him, we can do what? No thing. A really good female preacher said to me one time, I really struggled with this one particular sin because of what happened to me when I was a young girl. And I could not stop, and I could not stop, and I could not stop. But I ask God, give me a hate for the sin. Help me to hate it like you hate it, Lord. Help me to see it like you see it. And teach me to fear you, Lord. She asked for the fear of the Lord. She asked God to grant her a hate for that sin. And things turned around and I took that. I was like, I received that, Lord. Help me to hate my sin. Help me to hate it all. Help me to hate it like you hate it. Help me to understand what it actually does to me and the people around me. How it destroys lives. How it comes to literally kill, steal, and destroy. My life and the life of those I love. In Proverbs 9, 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's just the beginning. And knowledge, knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. We're called to know the Word of God, to rightly divide the Word of God, so that we can have knowledge of who He is. It says, those who know their God, will do great exploits in his name. When we don't know how good God is, how kind he is, what a perfect father he is, how he always keeps us safe, we'll, we'll kind of draw back a little bit from doing bold stuff. Because maybe we didn't have a great earthly example. Maybe we don't have as much time to study the word as some others, right? But when we chew on it, we meditate on it day and night, we really know who he is, and we rightly divide the word. That boldness, you'll see it start to increase. You're like, ooh, I didn't know this is who I was. Well, yes, this is the new you. You're made after the prototype, Jesus. You're going to live like he lived. You're going to do what he did. You are literally a new creation, and you're coming into more of his faith, more of his glory, every single day that you choose to obey him. And you are absolutely glorious. You are absolutely glorious. With the locust piece, uh, this is where Pharaoh's people started to turn on him. They got a little irritated with him. No longer was it just the Israelites that were like, you need to repent. Pharaoh's own people started to turn on him. And sometimes those people that love, you know, everybody's, yeah, yeah, great idea, great idea. Yeah, do that sin. Oh, it's so good. And then their sin starts to affect them. Mm. You ain't got to worry about, you ain't got to worry about the Lord will cause 
their own clan to turn on. All of a sudden, there's donkeys coming up everywhere talking, saying what they need to say, just like they did to Barack. Have I ever said that on you before? He'll be prophesying. Jamar called me one day. He said, Stephanie, I hear that the donkeys are rising. I'm going to start speaking into, into Shane's life and say, well, praise God. We need some donkeys. There's lots of them around there. <laughs> Let him speak, Lord. And Pharaoh's officials said to him, how long will this man be a snare to us? Let the people go. These are his own officials. Just let him go. You're causing us pain now. Now I've got a problem with you, Pharaoh. So that they may worship the Lord their God. Do you not realize that all of Egypt is ruined? Everything we worship, everything we care about, the officials are saying, is gone. What's the point now? Why are we still holding on to it? Why are you holding on to your pride when we've already lost everything? I was like, hmm. Sometimes pride, tradition, and habits, what we've always done. This is just the way I always do it. This is who I am. This is how I roll. And habits can blind us from God's best for us. This is the way things are done around here. This is my routine. This is my life. This is my decision. You're right, yes. You're right, that is true. You're free to choose. Choose life that you and your descendants may live. We go on the plague of darkness, and this is the, the ninth plague, second to last, and we're almost done. In Exodus 10, 21, it says, with this plague of darkness, that they couldn't see anyone else or leave their place for three days. So they were isolated, okay? And when we're pushing in pride, you're going to experience a lot of isolation. You're alone a lot because nobody wants to be around you, okay? Pride hurts other people. It hurts them. It makes you an unsafe person. They were lonely. They were isolated. They struggled with suicidal thoughts. They couldn't see anyone else around them. And I think that's a prophetic picture sometimes. Right? Pride always makes a person think that they know everything. But the reality is they can't really see. Because everything around them is dark. And what they're really seeing is negativity, criticalness, flaws, problems, digging and picking at things. When Jesus said, I have come that you may have life, and life abundantly until it overflows. When we are moving from faith to faith and glory to glory, we are imparting life and encouragement and hope and blessing and kindness and graciousness and forgiveness and patience with people. We're displaying the spirit of self-control. Come on. Somebody say amen. 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 I can only imagine how they must have felt. They don't know the Lord. They must have been scared out of their mind. I think about the COVID-19 and what's going on right now, and you're praying for these elderly people, and I think, Lord, if it's driving me bonkers as a believer, and I had to go escape to the beach and go on a, quote, hike the other day so I could get out of my house, and I have you, I cannot imagine how these people are feeling. Imagine the fear, the confusion. I've gone to the store, and I'm sorry. It's like Barson and Walmart. It is like going to... A intergalactica, menu, menu, space bar party, okay? Like those Star Trek type people, do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know what they're called, okay? That's how pathetic it is. I mean, they get garbage bags over their head, they get these makeshift little filters made out of baggies. I'm out of control. I know our family's sick. I can't, I can't help it. I'm, I get the heebies. 
And I'm like, I gotta walk away because I can't stop laughing. I'm like, Lord Jesus. And then it, and that conviction hits me, and I feel bad because I realize these people are actually afraid. Like they really have no hope because they don't know Him. And I, I, I said, Father, forgive me. It is funny. I'm not gonna lie. It is funny, and it was some good entertainment. But I felt bad after a minute because they really don't know Him. And I think. To be that afraid that I'd be willing to make a mask out of a Ziploc bag and try to make a makeshift filter out of a coffee filter. I, I was sad for a minute. Like, wow, they, that'd be a hard place to be. You know? We talked about fear last week, and I can imagine that the Egyptians were fearing, feeling very fearful at this time. I love this. The distinction continued between their the people of the world and the people of God, it said, yet all of the Israelites had light in their dwelling. They could see just fine. Now they might have needed to get out for a minute, <laughs> come back in and read a little bit, but the, the Israelites could see just fine. So Pharaoh shifts again just a little bit more. He says, okay, okay, okay. I tried to get him to worship here. He said, no, I told him you go a little bit ways off and worship, and they were willing to do that. Then I said, just the men can go. Can the ladies say men? How many times have we been told that? Well, your men can go worship. Y'all need to stay here and sit down. Be quiet. Mm-mm-mm. That spirit of religion been playing that game for a long time. And I do believe we're in a season, actually, in this nation, where the time of Pharaoh saying in the church even, and to the church, the men can go, the women and children need to stay here. God's like, I'm done with that game. He said, I made them in my image, male and female, I made them. If we want to experience the fullness of the glory of God, we've got to let the women say what is in their heart. And the men in our culture, you guys are amazing at that, but it's got to multiply. Because we will never understand the fullness of who God is and what he wants to do until we see men and women walking shoulder to shoulder displaying the fullness of his glory and his grace in all their masculinity and in all their femininity wildness. Mm. Right? Mm. We can honor and celebrate the beauty of the way each of us does it differently. So Pharaoh shifts here in chapter 10, 24 a little bit more. And he says, okay, okay, okay. Moses goes back in. He asks him to pray for him again. La, 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 la. Same thing. I'm sorry. I'm horrible. I sinned. You're right. I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. And I just keep thinking of that verse, you know, when Peter turns to him and says, oh, seriously, Peter's, I, I love Peter. I can relate to Peter. I don't know if y'all can. Peter's very impatient. I tend to be that way, okay? Pioneers tend to be that way. We don't want to wait. Let's just do something, please, for the love of Pete. No pun intended. And he says, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Like, can I get like seven here and then he'll, you know, break his knees or something. He'll take care of business here, bring a little bit of judgment, help a sister out, help a brother out, right? He says, no, I tell you, seven times seventy. In other words, you need to keep forgiving him and keep forgiving him and keep forgiving him. Let me worry about this. Let me worry about how I'm going to take care of this one. Your responsibility is to forgive over and over and over and over and over again. And lay boundaries when I tell you to. It's all right to lay boundaries. There's nothing wrong with boundaries. But you keep forgiving. You keep loving. You keep being kind. Can anybody say amen? Say, I'm willing, Lord. Help me, Jesus. <laughs> 
So we shift series says, go worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. Okay, so we shift a little bit more. The men can go, and the women and children can go. We're almost to Joel 2 now, the scriptural promise. He says, but, but, your flocks and your herds have to stay behind. The thing that you actually worship the Lord with can't go with you. Okay, so the, the men can go worship, the women can go worship, the children can go worship, but we're not going to do that buck wild crazy worship. We actually lift your hands and speak in tongues and prophesy. I want you all to be quiet and stay in your seats, and that's how we're going to roll. There has to be order in this house. Right? God forbid that everyone should actually know in part and prophesy in part and have a portion to bring forth. Right? Have you guys seen the parallel? It was so clear to me today. God is changing his church. He's taking it out of the hands of Pharaoh. He's taking it out of the hands of the religious spirit and the political spirit and the platform mentality. And he's saying, I'm giving it back to my son who is in charge. He is the great apostle. He is the prototype. And we are a people who can say, Lord, what are you saying? And say what he says to say, Lord, what are you doing? He shows you something, a vision. And do what he shows you to do. And yes, decently in order. One prophet gets the word, the next one, you release it. Don't preach a message. Sit down and let the next person go when they stand up and get something. That's how it works. But when everybody brings their portion, it's way better. Because each of us brings something that edifies and it builds and it edifies and it builds. And there's this momentum that comes into the room and it's absolutely glorious. We all feel like we have a part and we're like, yes, this is what church is supposed to be. Amen? Do you feel that when you get a chance to share your portion when God's actually speaking to you and then someone validates it in you? It feels so good. And you're like, ooh, I am a part of the body. I am a rock on this wall. We are the ecclesia. God is moving things. I'm not crazy. That person just confirmed what I saw. That person just confirmed what I said. Man, God is good. He still is moving. This is what church is supposed to look like. Amen? That gets me excited. And then you get to the 10th plague. The death of the firstborn. People don't have to die. I think that's where the anger comes from. Sometimes you get to know the Lord so well, you know the goodness is available. You know the hope that's available. You know the promises that are available. But you can't make someone else believe what is written here. They've got to go through their own process of encouraging, encountering the love of God, encountering his word, encountering his truth, and receiving that revelation for themselves. And we have to be so careful like Moses that we don't beat the rock, that we don't react in the moment, but that we respond in truth. And I cannot relate. I cannot relate to those that choose death over life. I cannot relate to those that choose despair over hope. I cannot relate to those that choose depression over praise. I cannot relate to those that choose pride over humility, even though I did it for a season because I tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And I can never go back. I'm forever gloriously ruined. I can never go back. He's so... Awesome. Moses tells them to go and ask your neighbors for silver and gold. Again, he's distinguishing between those people that are his, those that aren't. This is where Passover comes into play with the death of the firstborn. He tells them all that 
this will be, this first month will be a month for them to commemorate for years to come, generations to come. He talks to them about on the first month. He says, this will be your first month. In other words, my people will have a different first month than the rest of the world. This is your first month. And I don't know if you know this, but today is, we are in that month. It's Nisan. Okay? We are in the month of Nisan. This is interesting because Exodus 1.11 says this. Excuse me, 11.1 says this. Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. And after that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. In other words, he won't humble himself and surrender and let you go. So I'm going to make him so angry that he has to let you go because I need my people out of here to accomplish what the rest of the world needs. So I'm going to do what I have to do. And in the process, Pharaoh will come, but it's not the way I wanted him to come. But I love him so much, I'm going to make him come anyway. One is the number of unity in the Hebrew. It's the number of God. It's the number of the Trinity, three and one. Exodus 11, one, 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 one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Lord, show me that this morning, and he showed me today is actually the 11th of Nisan. Today's April 5th. Today's the 11th of Nisan. And they're saying that this is the week that COVID-19 is going to peak here in America. Stay home, stay home. Ah. I thought, there's light in my dwelling. I got my lamb. I got my, my doorposts are covered with the blood of Jesus. Amen? But my heart grieves for the pharaohs. And I thought back over all of these plagues, and I thought God's heart the entire time was that Moses' brother would repent. That he would turn from his wicked ways and that he would be saved. That he would humble himself. God didn't want to humble him. God didn't want to have to do that. He had Moses go in before them and tell him. He'd been speaking to him for God knows how long. God only knows. Then you had to bring a prophet to tell him, and he wouldn't listen. Then he had to bring some correction and some plagues, and he wouldn't listen. Then he had to make a distinction. He didn't bring the plagues on everybody. He still wouldn't listen. And then he had to go after the thing he idolized the most. And he listened, but he was limited, and he still didn't take responsibility. God, in all of his fullness, protects his people and distinguishes those that are his from those that are not. When Moses left this particular meeting with Pharaoh, it says in verse 8 of chapter 11, all these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. And it goes on to say, then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. And the Lord said to Moses, he will refuse to listen to you. This was the warning Moses gave. He was hot with anger. I think he was hot with anger because deep down he knew Moses wasn't going to turn. He hoped he would. He was still praying he would. He still brought the message thinking, gosh, Lord, let him. But deep down he knew. And he was angry because it's that simple. Some of you all, and I'm saying this to those listening in the podcast, you've been resisting God for years. 
and daddy has done one act of merciful judgment against you for another, and all you've done is blame everyone in your life and everyone around you for the misery in your life, but God has been trying all along to get you to repent and to humble yourself and to take responsibility for your choices. You are not a victim of your circumstances. You are created in the image of the living God. And if you will willingly humble yourself, the circumstances and the oppression and the difficulties will cease. You'll still have to reap the harvest of the past, but your life will change in a moment. It will change in a moment. It is not too late. Do not get to the place in your life where daddy has to take something so close and so precious away from you. Like Pharaoh, the eldest son, it says, the death of the firstborn. It says it came in the night and the Lord told Moses and Aaron, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of the year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb. This time God gave him ten days. He's given him one night. Remember, tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow will happen. This time Daddy gave him ten days. Ten days to repent. He still didn't repent. He told him it was going to be the death of the firstborn, and he still did not repent. He gave him ten days to mull it over. He says, if any in the household are too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. In other words, don't we just kill the lambs for the sake of killing lambs. We only are doing, taking care of business here, make sure everybody has enough to eat. Amen? This is the picture of Jesus. They were protected at a cost. It wasn't free. When death comes and all sin requires a payment, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's just the reality. We all have, and it's okay because the payment's been paid. But there is a payment that was paid, and it was not cheap. He says, This is a day you are to commemorate for generations to come, and you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, as a lasting ordinance in Exodus 12 14. So that when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then you will tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. And the big lesson is this. The Egyptians' sins were no worse than the Israelites. They just had a Passover. They were just covered by the blood of the Lamb. And there's some of you out there, you're believing this lie. I am not enough. I am not enough. I am not enough. And the truth is you aren't. But neither are we. Neither are God's people. We just have a Savior. We have a literal Son of God, a Passover Lamb that has been placed on the doorposts of our heart and our mind and our spirits have been made new, but it was a free gift to us too. You do not have to get it together to come to him. He said, whosoever will. Whosoever will. Jesus Christ was the ultimate Passover lamb. The Israelites, if you are familiar with the story, were told by the Lord to take hyssop and put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their doors and to stay in all that night. Okay, so that's Wednesday night in case you're wondering the 14th. Or the, the tenth day of Nisan, excuse me. That's Passover. Yeah, the tenth. April 8th, okay? I thought of these verses. 
Okay, I saw this picture. I absolutely love this picture. You can see there that the door is covered in the blood on the top and on the sides, doorposts, just like the Lord told them to do there for the Passover. And on the door in red, it says, I am the door. Okay, and that comes from John 10, 9. The NIV version, it says, I am the door. Some versions say the gate. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. And I just, I don't know why, for the podcast, I want to say any woman enter in. She shall be saved. And shall go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is the door. The door is a picture of the Lord. The blood is a picture of the price he paid for us, for me, for you. It is paid. It is finished. But it was not free. Our sin, the Israelites' sin, was just as bad as the Egyptians. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all sin separates us from God. Whether it was just a little teeny tiny white lie, a little bit of ungodly jealousy, a little bit of lust of the flesh, it still separates us from him. John 1.29 says, The next day, and this is speaking of John the Baptist, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Your sins have been paid for and they have been taken away. It is as simple as saying, I need it, number one. I receive it, number two. I receive it. It takes humility to say I need it. I thought of these verses. Okay, I saw this picture. I absolutely love this picture. You can see there that the door is covered in the blood on the top and on the sides, doorposts, just like the Lord told them to do there for the Passover. And on the door in red, it says, I am the door. Okay, and that comes from John 10, 9, the NIV version. It says, I am the door. Some versions say the gate. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. And I just, I don't know why, for the podcast, I, I want to say any woman enter in. She shall be saved. And shall go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is the door. The door is a picture of the Lord. The blood is a picture of the price he paid for us, for me, for you. It is paid, it is finished, but it was not free. Our sin, the Israelites' sin, was just as bad as the Egyptians. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all sin separates us from God. Whether it was just a little teeny tiny white lie, a little bit of ungodly jealousy, a little bit of lust of the flesh, it still separates us from him. John 1.29 says, The next day, and this is speaking of John the Baptist, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look! The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Your sins have been paid for and they have been taken away. It is as simple as saying, I need it, number one. I receive it, number two. I receive it. It takes humility to say I need it. It also takes humility to say I receive it, right? Because we know deep down in a way that a payment has to be paid. And what I'm trying to tell you today is it's been paid. Jesus took the beating. Jesus took the hit. In fact, he died so that your price could be paid and it has been paid and you are forgiven. In Hebrews 9, 12, it says, I'm going to turn there, actually. Go ahead and turn there with me if you've got your Bibles. 
This is just such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful verse. Is paid in full. Absolutely paid in full. Okay. So this is Hebrews 9, 12. You've got that. Say, I've got it. Thank you. He did not, and this is referring to Jesus, when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, okay, and they were told they could get a goat or a sheep here, okay, at Passover. But he entered the most holy place once for all by his blood, having obtained eternal redemption. This whole I'm not enough thing is a lie from the pit of hell. The greatest price in all of heaven and earth in the entire universe has been paid for you and it's paid in full. Literally paid in full. So imagine with me that you're locked like a slave in Egypt and the Lord himself comes up and you deserve to be served up a punishment of death because you failed. And we all do. But God himself sends his son to go pay that price for you. And at first you feel bad because he shouldn't have to pay that. It's not right. But you realize you need it, so you accept it, you receive it, but you're absolutely heartbroken over it, only to learn later that he cannot die. He is life itself. He's not dead. He's risen. Come on, somebody. He is risen. Death cannot hold him. Hell cannot contain him. He died, but it says three days later. Three days later. Three days later. Three days later, and that's coming. He rose again. Come on. He is not dead. He is alive. And he's seated in the heavenly places. And he has won the prize for you and he's won the prize for me. And he has freely invited you into his own authority that he wants so you can now sit and reign and war with him and advance his kingdom here on this earth. That is our call. But it takes humility. I need a savior. I am a high mess. I humble myself and I receive it. Can anybody say amen? Amen. So I'm here to tell you something. This is what Daddy told me tells you. Your debt is paid in full. Mm. And he wants you to know, I am enough. Hallelujah. Jesus said, I am that I am. And he said, I am enough. And for those of you that have humbled yourself and you received that gift, guess what? The great I am lives on the inside of you. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells on the inside of you. You are a walking miracle. You are a walking glory cloud. You think about the Old Testament when it says the Shekinah went before them as a pillar of cloud by day, as a pillar of fire by night that they always knew where they were going. You are that pillar. That's you. The very Shekinah of God lives on the inside of you everywhere you go. You're a light or a cloud that people are following and watching and going, oh man, this person's going this way. Maybe we should go this way. Look, look, look how that's moving through it. Oh man, Jim's going this way. Look at what God's doing. Something's right about that. I'm going to follow that. And you're 
told Joshua, you will have success. Be strong and very courageous, he says. Be strong and very courageous, for you will lead these people into the land that I have promised for them. But there will be war. You will have to fight, but it's not by might, and it's not by power, but it's by his spirit. And God can give you the spirit of Caleb, who looks at the largest giant in the land, the annex, and says, because God said, give me my land that God promised me. I am 80 years old, but I am still strong and able as I was when I was young. Nothing can stop me, not because of me, but because of who I serve. In the word I have from him. Come on, somebody. Amen. Come on. That lights me up. Not only is your debt painful, but I was thinking about the door, and the door, the Lord reminded me that in the Psalms, David refers to our lips as our door a lot. And we are in the year 5780. This is the year of the door. This is the year of pay, the year of the mouth. You shall have whatsoever you say. That's right. Ask me anything. He says, ask me anything. He doesn't say you shall have whatsoever you ask. He says you shall have whatsoever you say. Psalm 141, 1-5 says this, O Lord, I call upon you. Come quickly to me. Hear my voice when I call on you like incense. May the lifting of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. And I'm picturing the Israelites there getting ready for Passover, putting the blood on the doors, and the evening sacrifice happening. And it's all a picture of Christ. When we call in the name of the Lord and say, may my, the door of my lips and what comes out of my mouth be like an evening sacrifice to you. When the plagues are coming, when I'm still suffering from Pharaoh's sin and from the sin of those around me, may the lips, the door of my lips reflect the blood of your son. May I speak praise
So I can forgive 70 times 7 so I can let it go. So the door of my lips reflects your glory and your grace and your opinion of these individuals, of this situation and your hope and future for this nation. Let not my heart be drawn to what is evil. To take part in wicked deeds with men who are evildoers, let me not eat of their delicacies. We have to be so, so careful in these times not to, the scripture tells us not to even have dinner with certain individuals. That's not judgment. That's wisdom. There's times like when Jesus is told to have dinner with the tax collectors. There's other times where the Lord says, don't eat with them if they claim to be a Christian or are living this way because you're actually affirming the sin in their life. Don't even eat with them. That's hard sometimes because we do love. And we've been there and we understand. David goes on to say, Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let a rebuke me. It is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it, Lord. And Lord and I do this for each other all the time. I absolutely love this woman. I invite it from another handful of really close friends. We're very honest with each other. I hear what you're saying, but you're off in this. Thank you very much. Yes, you're right. I received that. That's not what I was expecting to hear right now, but I needed to please say it again. Stephanie, you may not want to hear this, but you're off in this. That's love. That's love. People that love you speak the truth in your life, not to hurt you. And I'm going to ask Jim McCann to come up. Not to shame you, not to make you feel bad, but because they want to see you come into all the fullness of who God created you to be. And we have blind spots, you guys. We have blind spots that we can't see. Thank you for listening today. Take a moment and ask Holy Spirit what He wants you to do with what you've learned. And remember, with God, all things are possible. So keep dreaming, keep praying, and simply obey because God is good, and He has good plans for you. You can subscribe to our blogs, learn about our speakers, and even hear from one of our team members how you can take part in transforming a city, your city with Christ. There's no time like the present. Visit ShekinahOnline.com. If this doesn't excite you, watch for our new and God-inspired product line, a newly released book by Stephanie Butler, more testimonies from our listeners like you, working to bring unity in cities across the world. If you feel led to support our podcast, you may do so on our Shekinah.com website. Or if you would like to support us monthly, there is a link labeled Listener Support on every podcast. Until next time, we thank you, we love you, have a blessed day.